This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday morning sporting edition of Pacific Beat, brought to you from the land of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. And coming up, the sudden withdrawal of the Kiribati soccer team from the Pacific Games remains shrouded in government mystery information on this is very hard to get. They're very secretive, even on sports. So we have no idea whether the team was ready or they were aware of it and how the reaction is when they were told that they were not going. Meanwhile, the PNG couples captain Raymond Gunemba is out of the games because of injury, an injury that right now he can't afford to fix. Surgery is very expensive and our club, we don't have enough money to help support that and even PNGFA. So I'll just go for medical treatment and do the rehab and see how it goes. And it's a weightlifting family affair for Solomon Island star Jenny Tego Winnie and her protege Shamara Winnie, who just happens to be her niece. She was like a mom to me, my mentor, someone I look up to, my hero. I'm going to say that she always be on my side. More to come from Shamara and her auntie Jenly later in the program. First, though, the defending men's champions Fiji squeezed into the Olympic qualifying places for Paris 2024 at the end of the latest World Rugby Seven series. But once again, Samoa missed out narrowly on joining their Pacific rivals. But after also missing out in previous international playoff tournaments, this time around, the Manu will start as hot favourites to make it to the Olympics at last by taking out the Oceania qualifying tournament in Brisbane this weekend. However, Tonga may have something to say about that, as they have never had a chance to join the Olympic party before, and they're determined to upstage their arch-Pacific rivals. First, they'll have to get past Kiribati, Nauru, PNG and Vanuatu, while Samoa will be up against American Samoa, Cook Islands, Solomon Islands and Tuvalu. Then, if all goes to plan, Tonga will clash head-on with Samoa in the final, with the ticket to Paris going to the winners. Having already won the World Rugby Challenger Series earlier in the year and then putting up a brave fight at the core team qualifier event in London, coach Tevita Tuifur says Tonga are primed and ready to snatch the Olympic prize away from the Manu. Just looking back what we've been through in the past season, I think it's been really good with our squad preparation in terms of building up towards the Challenger Series, gaining experience with the player depth that we have and has been a lot of uh, challenges to us as a group, as a coaching and a management staff to pull them from each country and each competition they're in. But we did try our best to make sure that we still have the, the experience in our group for this one opportunity that we hardly come across in the past four years, this Olympic qualifier spot and I feel that the squad that we currently have for this weekend will do the job for us. I would imagine most people would have Samoa starting as favourites. They came so close to qualifying through the World Series as it is. But of course, Samoa do have a bit of a rocky history when it comes to Olympic qualifiers and last-minute failures. And, and that may perhaps weigh heavily on the team's mind. Is that something you could take advantage of? Yeah, we all review the opposition and, and that's part of the being around this area of review, previewing of, of what's happening in, in the future. But we cannot rely primarily on the past uh, performance of, of Samoa. 
more. They are really take to our side. I know their preparation has been been really good. As far as I've spoken to Brian Lima, they had the opportunity. They had all the players. They uh, base inside more, and they have been training really hard for this opportunity. Even though the best results, as you mentioned, so our focus is based on this tournament, not relying heavily on the best result of Samoa or even the other teams that are involved. Based on what we know about the sides that are competing for this one Olympic place, it's a very strong likelihood that it will come down to a match between yourselves and Samoa. And what Tonga have demonstrated in, in the recent past is that you can rise to the occasion and defeat teams that maybe you were not expected to defeat. For example, you, you beat Great Britain in one of the World Series games uh, earlier in the year. So is that what it's working up to, to get to the final first and foremost, almost certainly against Samoa, and then rise to the occasion, produce that one big result you need to get to Paris? Exactly. That would be the ideal plan we have in place. But we cannot take any team lightly in our pool stage with the like of Papua New Guinea. I know the result in the past has been up and down from our end. We cannot take any team lightly. But primarily that's our goal to win our pool and then to make the final against Samoa. And if you were to make it to Paris, just how big an impact do you think that would have on the development of Sevens in Tonga in terms of playing the game, but also in terms of financing the game? Because you're on such a tight budget. Yeah, I think it will change a lot of things in terms of our resources and just the whole setup in the country as well. It's never done before and this opportunity is massively a blessing for us. And we know it will be a massive change within our group and even the country. So huge huge opportunity. And the players that you have uh, with you in Brisbane, largely the same squad that was involved in the Challenger Series or have you made a few changes? Yeah, we have. We have made a few changes with the condition that we are working uh, through so far. It has to be a change. We cannot retain the group right through. So 80% of our group we're still able to maintain and it's great blessing that we have a couple of players that have been involved with the Super Rugby level and the NBC level in New Zealand. They are available this time and, and that's when the support of Mana Pacifica is the like of the Inis' brother. So massive. So would you say then that you have a stronger squad than that which you took to London earlier in the year? From my point of view, this is the best squad that we have for this campaign. This is the best, I would say, squad that we ever had. And the Pacific Games, of course, uh, coming up very shortly too. Would you be taking this same squad to the Pacific Games or will it be a different group of players competing there? It will be different. I'm not quite sure how it's going to look like. Uh, we've always faced the challenge of uh, players' commitments and we can't say no to that. So their priority is them and their commitments is, uh, and their families. So it will be more likely less than half of this group will be available. And are you able to give me an update from the women's camp and how they're looking forward to this tournament? Because, of course, they too are competing for an Olympic place. But clearly, Fijiana, who won the bronze medal at the last Olympic Games, will start as very hot favourites. But again, sometimes there are surprise results. Yeah, we train with the women's team. few of our boys were assisting some of the girls in terms of the position specific. But as far as I know, they have 80% that have been in the tournament before. But they have few uh, players joining the team from New Zealand and even here from Brisbane. They're looking pretty good, good shape. It will be a dream come true for all involved if we manage to get past this stage of qualifying for the Olympic sports. 
to be said to Ifur on the line from Brisbane and he'll be leading from the front as coach of the Tongan men's team competing in the Oceania Rugby Sevens Championships over the next three days. But it's that place at the Paris Olympics which will be very much their number one goal. Tonga's women's team, they'll have to qualify the hard way as they line up in a pool alongside American Samoa, Cook Islands and Fiji. While the other pool features Manosina, Samoa, another strong team, PNG, Nauru and Solomon Islands. Well, you're with Pacific Beats here on ABC Radio Australia. It's the Friday morning sporting edition. I'm Richard Ewart, and it's 12 years since the men's soccer team from Kiribati last took part in the Pacific Games, but they were due to be in Honiara for the 2023 event. That was until the squad was withdrawn at the last minute, near enough. Up to now, there has been no real explanation as to why the team has been pulled out and the conspiracy theories are already flying on social media. Tale Olatia has been talking to journalist Ramon Ramon, who broke the story to find out what he knows and why he thinks the Kiribati players are staying at home for the third Pacific Games in a row. It's a bit unfortunate. It really came as a surprise. People on the ground in Kiribati were not aware of these. They thought uh, all the teams um, going to the, the Pacific Games were all set. But then at the last minute, I even received this news not from within Kiribati, but from outside of Kiribati. So there were sources within the Solomon Islands that revealed that. And it was quite sad that preparations for such a long time has been uh, ongoing. And at the last minute, things have just changed. And so the reaction on the ground is it's not very positive because they, they, they're really looking forward for their team to be exposed and uh, compete among the, you know, the, the Pacific uh, teams. Indeed, because um, not only would have this been like a last-minute blow to the team, the members of the team, but also the development of football in Kiribati, especially, you know, that experience that comes from getting um, that international play. And I know that the president of the Kiribati Islands Football Association, Martin Tofinger, who died in August, was a real champion of developing the game in Kiribati. Um, so, you know, what does this mean that Kiribati won't have their men's football team at the Pacific Games? Oh, I think this is a big loss for, for the players and for Kiribati in general because, you know, as you shared, um, I, I did speak uh, at one occasion with the late uh, Martin Tufinga, who is very passionate about developing football in, in Kiribati. And um, he's been really, you know, working hard to try and get the, the Kiribati team to be exposed to play overseas, not just in the region, but ultimately at international games. And the Pacific Games was one of the things that they were really preparing for that. And um, the information on this is, as, as in in, 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 in every sectors within Kiribati, especially within government, is very hard to get. They're, they're very secretive, even on sports. So um, we, we have no idea whether the team was ready or they were aware of it and how the reaction is uh, when they, they were told that they were not going. But it, it, it really is appears that it, it was a last-minute decision because um, even the organisers were, I think, were not quite impressed with that uh, last move. Mm. And I can't help but notice that the national sports competition Teranga is currently taking place. I know that it was postponed, but it seems like if you're going to play at the same times as the Pacific Games, that there was always going to be a clash. Is there anything into the the competition and keeping the players on island so they could compete in there rather than going to the Pacific Games? Do we have any idea if that may have impacted this decision? 
Well, certainly that's the, the, the conversation that is happening now on, on the ground here in Kiribati because the, the national uh, sports competition, as you said, the Runga, the main games of, of, of these uh, games, of course, are the traditional games and other athletics and stuff. Uh, but, you know, soccer is the main game. That's like the highlight of this. And so, you know, each island has that pride to, to give the best team out there to play and then win, you know, and it's sort of like an island pride thing that they have to, to do, you know. And, and so we can understand that, you know, when there's a uh, games happening in, in Honiara and, um, you know, uh, as opposed to one happening in Turunga, you know, I'm sure they, they, they'll be divided on which to, to attend. But I think it's it's just a logistical um, mess there embroiled in because, you know, the games has been in plan for so long now, especially the Pacific Games, I mean. The Runga was initially scheduled for earlier in the year, but I, I think it got postponed. We know it was supposed to be held earlier, but now it's a clash. It's it's actually a big clash because it's happening right now and the, the games is just next week. So, yeah, people are just not happy. Mm. And I have seen or I've, I've heard um, that there is also a political element to this and, you know, elections next year. Is this a way to carry favour with constituencies, of course, when they're competing at national games rather than international games? Yeah, look, um, I cannot say for certain that would be the case, but politics is certainly is edged within these national games happening in Kiribati because we see politicians very active. So the, the, the games is a gathering of all of the islands, right? So basically constituents. So um, once they are in Tarawa, the capital, that's when all the MPs, um, you know, show show their support for their teams. They buy uniforms, they buy soccer boots, they, they feed them, they give them cash as, you know, daily subsistence allowances. And you know, just recently ahead of this, um, China donated 10000 to each island team to, to help them sustain, uh, you know, in, in, in the cost of their, their, their staying in the capital. And some SOE companies in Kiribati have, have done the same. So it's in support of the games, all right. But um, seeing politicians involved in all of this, of course, they, that might be their responsibility as well. But let's read between the lines here. I mean, elections is coming up shortly um, next year, uh, either in the first quarter or, or in the second quarter part of next year and this game is is really a a show of support for for those teams so if you're not really uh, engaging with your teams this could be you know a downside for you if you're an mp so they're very active right now on the ground here we're seeing mps giving in the teams cash and in-kind donations and all that and and i think that will contribute to to their favorability in the coming elections i don't know that 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 may be the case yeah, indeed. And finally, Ramon, do we know if any other Kiribati sporting teams have been impacted in the same way that the men's soccer team have? Um, or can we expect that, you know, they'll still be there at um, the Pacific Games in Solomon Islands next week? I think that the, the rest of the delegation uh, for Kiri, sports Kiribati uh, attending or representing Kiribati at the, the Pacific Games will still go ahead. Like I said, I think the main team for Kiribati is, is this. I mean, others might be individual um, sport games like uh, weightlifting and other, other sports. But the main one, the soccer teams, unfortunately, won't be representing Kiribati. And, and that's a loss for the players themselves and for the people who have been you know, wanting to see their national team compete uh, among their, their Pacific comrades. Journalist Ramon Ramon speaking there to Tulei Olatira. Kiribati was scheduled to play in Pool B, incidentally, with Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu, but uh, their withdrawal has uh, led to a few changes in that schedule. Uh, just the 12 countries now involved in the men's soccer tournament, uh, and it kicks off uh, a week today. In fact, uh, the action starts two days before the opening ceremony at the Pacific Games.
Join me, Rick Howe, on Island Music for the finest in ska, rocksteady, roots, dub, sizzling dancehall and all the hottest releases from around the Pacific. Hi, I'm Ronnie Kareni from Sorong Samurai and you're listening to Island Music. My name is Tierney from Tetangio Tecara and you're listening to Island Music. Join me, Rick Howe, on Island Music. Saturdays, 12pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Was a great show in great hands there. It's already been a calamitous year for both the men's and women's national soccer teams in Papua New Guinea. And now with just a week to go before the Pacific Games, the couples under new coach Warren Moon are having to rethink their plans after losing their vastly experienced captain Raymond Gunemba to injury. The Lay City Dwellers player has succumbed to grade two medial collateral ligament damage. But while he suffered the injury playing for the couples in Noumea last month, he was prepared to battle on until he was finally diagnosed correctly back in Port Moresby several weeks later. It's a familiar story in PNG where player welfare does not appear to be a high priority and where finance for treatment is in short supply. Raymond Gunemba may yet need surgery to prolong his career, but right now he can't afford it and no one else is offering to help him pay for it. When we went down to MSG Cup in New Caledonia, that's when I got this injury. I didn't go for rehab or anything. I just rest my leg throughout the tournament. And when we came back, I didn't go for medical treatment or checkup. I thought that it's just a small injury. It will heal up by itself. Your situation seems very reminiscent of, of that which happened to your international teammate, Alvin Comalong. He too was carrying an injury that he thought perhaps wasn't as serious as it turned out to be. And in the end, of course, he's been out of the game for several months. Do you feel that you've been getting the right care within the club and within the national system that maybe somebody should have spotted that you had a problem sooner? Yeah, yeah. When uh, we came back, no one checked on my injuries, so I didn't ask anyone in the club or PNGFA to help me with this because I thought that it's just a normal injury. It will heal up. So how did it come to light that it was more serious? When we went to the camp for the specific game, I was running, attending the training, then I can feel my leg is like I can run, but I cannot kick the ball. So when we went for the testing with the high performance team in Port Mosby, that's where the physio tested my knee. He said it was a serious injury. So are you at this stage having to weigh up whether or not it's time to call an end to your playing career? The coach told me that we have uh, two big events coming up, World Cup qualifiers and the Nations Cup. So he advised me to just rest, see doctor for medical treatment and rehab. Yeah, so we have our finals coming up for the National Premier League. That's one of the things that I'm looking forward to. So I need to fix my knee and get myself prepared for that. So I guess I will still play. Are you in a similar position to Alvin Comalong? He had to crowdfund to get some of the money he needed to fix his own particular injury because there wasn't money in the club and there wasn't money coming from the PNGFA. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, at the moment, I was thinking for surgery, but, you know, surgery is very expensive and our club, we don't have enough money to help support that and even PNGFA. So what I think is that... Uh, I'll just go for medical treatment and do the rehab and see how it goes. 
That sounds like quite a high-risk strategy and, and not one, for example, that a, a player, say, in the A-League over here in Australia would have to face. I mean, the, the club wouldn't allow that to happen. Do you feel a little bit yeah. angry about that, that, that the system in PNG doesn't support you, somebody who's dedicated their career to playing for club and country? Yes, I think that's uh, really sad for a player. You know, he give all his time for the country and the club. And when he got injured and there's no support, it's it's really bad, huh? Because, you know, some of us, we don't work. We only play football to earn money. And when this happened to us, we need support, huh? We need support from the club, from the FA to help us with these medical expenses. When there's no help like this, it's really bad, huh? I feel hopeless. Yeah, that's true. Can it get any worse for football in PNG that these bad things keep on happening? Your new coach has come in with very little time to get things in shape for the Pacific Games, and now he's lost you, his captain. Yeah, it's bad because, you know, at last minute and things are not okay for the coach. But with my staying with the team, I saw how the coach mold the team. I have trust with the boys, you know, some of the young boys. But, you know, with an experienced player as uh, myself to be there and now I'm not in the team, it, it's something the team going to miss. And even the coach, you know, that's uh, last minute. So I hope uh, I can fix the team last minute and prepare for the game. And what has Warren Moon said about how long he's going to be in the job for? Because at the moment, it looks like a fairly temporary appointment. I mean, is he likely to stay on longer if things go well, or does he have other plans? I mean, again, this sort of indecision doesn't really help the national team, does it? What I heard from our management, they said uh, the coach will be here, especially for the Pacific game, I think for three months. But after that, they will decide or the coach will decide. How do you view realistically Papua New Guinea's chances of winning a medal in the men's football at the Pacific Games. With the help of the new coach, I think the team will learn uh, plenty of new things and how the boys react to the coach like they give their best during the training. I have trust and believe with the team. I talked to them and I said, you have to have trust in yourself. I can see big improvement with the players. So I have trust that the boys will make it into the gold medal playoff. We shall see, but uh, they'll certainly miss their captain, Raymond Gunemba, their captain of the PNG Capitals. Still optimistic, though, about uh, the team's chances at the Pacific Games, even though he won't be there now. And for the record, the team will line up against Vanuatu and Tuvalu in the pool round, while the PNG women's team will start their quest for a sixth gold medal in a row. In a tough-looking group, it has to be said, featuring uh, past bronze medalist Cook Islands, uh, past winners New Caledonia and American Samoa. We'll see how they go. The football competition kicks off a week today. And the Guardian of the front page on Pacific Beat for this Friday morning, Talia Olatia. Good morning. Good morning, Richard. You do it so well. <laughs> Makes me feel like I'm a statue standing in front of it, protecting the news or something. <laughs> yeah, that's hard to do, isn't it? Those people who stand there all day like doing a that gargoyle kind of thing. or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we have the Pacific Islands Forum uh, Leaders Retreat still going on over in uh, Cook Islands, and it's been a tense 24 hours or so. It has indeed. Now, since the Micronesian leaders selected a controversial choice in former Nauru President Baron Wonga to take over as PIF Secretary General from next year, we knew that it was always going to be up for discussion at the Pacific Islands Forum. Now, just a reminder, their nomination was brokered as part of the Suva Agreement to keep Kiribati and the Micronesian Asian bloc from 
splintering from the region's peak body. Um, and, you know, human rights groups since that nomination was announced had raised concerns over Mr Wonga's human rights record. Now, yesterday, Samoa wanted further discussion on the leadership selection process, which um, prompted Nauru's new president, David Adiang, and his delegation to walk out of the plenary session and also miss the first day of the leaders' retreat on Aitutaki. Now, the leaders' retreat, of course, um, is already missing leaders from PNG, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu and New Zealand, though they have sent ministers in their replacement. But it's at this leaders' retreat where, one, the communique comes out of largely, but it's where the really frank discussions occur. Um, So it is disappointing that... um, David Adiyang did not turn up to the first day and Fiji's Prime Minister Sidaveni Rambuka said that it was a shame that he didn't, he decided not to show. While Palau's president, Sarangal Whips Jr. said that Micronesian leaders would help pick up the slack, saying that maybe it was just a misunderstanding, but we'll get through it. I wonder. We shall find out later mm-hmm. today, I presume. Now, ancestral remains returning to Guam. That's right. A Chamorro ancestor who is more than 2,000 years old has been returned to Guam after spending the last 42 years in a laboratory in California. Pacific Daily News reports that the repatriation was coordinated between Guam's State Historic Preservation Office and the University of California, Riverside. Now, this 2,000-year-old woman comes from the Taragu area where a major archaeological project took place in the early 1980s. Um, Her remains were taken to the California lab to confirm her age, um, but then it then years of mis, uh, um, um, sorry, under management led to the decommissioning of that lab in 2003. And it was only in the last few years that a large number of ancestral remains and artifacts were found by staff. Um, they're mostly, um, Native Americans, but also, um, remains from Guam and Northern Marianas. Now, upon receiving the remains, Guam's State Historic Preservation Officer Patrick Lujan hand carried them, saying that this was an honourable mission um, and that the university was trying to make ro- make the wrongs of the past right um, and the university's NAGPRA Recreation Office Coordinator, um, NAGPRA meaning the Native American Grave Protection and Recreation Act, um, the coordinator, Megan Murphy, said they shouldn't have sat here for so long, they lo- but they belong to be back home. So... It feels like good news, but it feels like shouldn't even have to be news. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a troublesome issue, yeah. isn't it? And uh, it's good to see that it's been happening more and more in recent years with the remains going back to where they should not have been taken from in the first place. Now, some sporting news: uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yes, indeed. Most people think Hollywood star. What is he involved in sport? But Dwayne the Warrock Johnson is among the 2023 inductees for the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. The Rock is joined by Reno Mahi and Demata Peko, who were selected from over 100 nominees. And now, while Peko spent 15 seasons in the NFL with the Cincinnati Bengals and Mahi played five seasons with the Philadelphia Eagles, Johnson 
Johnson actually went undrafted in the 1995 NFL draft and then briefly signed with the CFL's Calgary Stampedes before switching to wrestling and Hollywood fame, but apparently still qualifies to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. Um, They will all be honoured during the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame enshrinement in late January next year. Um, And also in rugby league news, Samoa will not be travelling to England next autumn um, to take part in what was planned but not signed deal of a three-match test series. Um, It's the one that Tonga has just ended, which saw, um, you know, Tonga beaten in a whitewash. Um, The question, of course, now is with Samoa not going to England, what does that mean for the Pacific Championship? Yes, what does it mean? Because in theory, they've got an extra team because the Tonga were meant to come in and Samoa were going to drop Mm -hmm. out and go to England, but now they're not going. But I've also seen the Tongan coach Christian Wolf quoted as saying there are talks between Samoa and Tonga who would want to play a test series against each other. Oh, so, so they, get rid of England completely. Well, <laughs> well, get rid of England, but also say goodbye to the NRL and yeah. their Pacific Championship for, for one season at mm. least. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. I yeah. mean, we've talked a lot about the weird organisation of the Pacific Championships because mm. there were two. So maybe they're going to have to have a rethink now because currently Samoa have no place to go. Yeah. Well, they're taking the leak. Do they already keep their place in the cup? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they That's do. a big question, isn't I it? Don't, I don't think they do either. I don't whether whether there's going to be promotion and relegation, or they'll mm. merge them, or what. I don't know. The whole mm. thing, I think, was worked out on the back of a beer mat in a Sydney pub somewhere. And, <laughs> Time uh, to get another serviette out and yeah. figure it out. <laughs> well, the main thing is to play more games. So everybody's yep. happy about that. But yeah, it yep. does need a bit of structure. So we shall Indeed. see. Cool. Dalit, thank you very much indeed. That's News Wrap for this Friday morning here on Pacific Beats. Now, France's commitment to making the uh, Paris 2024 Olympics and Paralympics the most environmentally friendly games on record. It's a bit of a snag. The surfing competition will be held on pristine, world-renowned reef break in Tahiti. But local protests have stopped construction of a permanent judging tower as they feel fear the concrete blocks that it will be built upon will not only destroy the surf break itself but impact the coral reef and the health of the fish the locals rely on for survival tracy holmes can tell us more world-class surfing events have been held at tahiti's legendary chaupo reef break for more than 20 years world champions such as australia's steph gilmore have competed there and brazil's felipe toledo who knows how dangerous the reef below can be It's the reef that locals are fighting to protect. Paris 24 organisers want to replace a temporary wooden judging tower with a permanent three-storey aluminium structure for the three-day Olympic event. Locals say it will permanently damage the reef's ecosystem and their livelihoods. The first thing I say is that it's not a battle against the Olympics. It's really uh, pointing at this uh, aluminium tower that they want to build on the reef. Local pro surfer Matahi Drole is from Tiaupo'o, a village of 1,500 people who are mostly subsistence fishermen. They've gathered over 130,000 signatures petitioning against reef drilling and underwater pipelines, fearing it will lead to fish poisoning seen elsewhere in Tahiti and a severe illness known as ciguatera. When you eat the fish that has ciguatera, your nerves invert uh, the, the hot and the cold. When you take a cold shower, it feels like it's burning your skin. There's like needles that's falling on you. You cannot drink water because your throat, it's, it's a nightmare. Former World Surf League judge Luke Reading says while the existing judging tower is basic, it's all that is needed. We've only got necessities out there 
not once did I ever thought, oh, the air con would be nice up here. I was more like, this is awesome. I love this place. Paris 24 organisers acknowledge the concerns of the locals, but they say the existing tower does not comply with safety standards and the safety of officials and judges will not be compromised. There's a momentary pause on construction as negotiations between the groups continue. Meanwhile, locals have carved an unu, a totem pole engraved with symbols of ocean life, praying it delivers protection for their reef well beyond a three-day Olympic surfing event. Now, if there is one sport where the top athletes from the Pacific can compete and indeed do compete on equal terms with the best from Australia and New Zealand, then it's weightlifting. So the competition at the Pacific Games in Honiara promises to be fierce. Solomon Island's own weightlifting superstar, Jenny Tagawini, is looking forward to it more than most. Now 40 and perhaps in the twilight of her career, Jenny wants to put on a show for her hometown fans, but she'll also be busy with her coach's hat on, looking after two other lifters in the Solomon's team. Team, one of whom just happens to be her niece, as Talia Oletia reports. The first Solomon Islander ever to medal at a Commonwealth Games when she took bronze on the Gold Coast in 2018, Jenly Tegu Winnie has waited a long time to compete in front of family and friends. But she's been training hard for months now, most recently at Paul Coffer's Institute in Dramana near Melbourne, and at what may be her last Pacific Games, she's in a confident mood. I know there will be a lot of people and I know I will do well at the games because like from July, I haven't taken a full really rest from uh, competitions. So after the Commonwealth in Delhi and then after and then the World Champ and then straight after I went back to Samoa for the training camp and now here prepare for the games. Yeah, I'm looking forward for the big one. At the recent Commonwealth Championships in India, Genli added another gold medal to her collection. And then she watched from the wings as two young talents in the Solomons team took silver and bronze, Laura Melosia in the youth competition and Shamara Winnie in the junior event. Shamara is Genli's niece, who she often refers to as her granddaughter. She has coached both girls since she spotted their potential in a school athletics carnival and convinced Shamara that weightlifting is the right sport for her. Since the day I started weightlifting, at first I wasn't sure if I was going to be a weightlifter because it's during the, uh, when Solomon Island hosting sports carnival, it's for the whole Solomon Island. And I was in athletics and she asked me to go and join weightlifting. And it's very hard. We have to cope with our training and we have discipline rules guide us through. So how do aunt and niece get on as athlete and coach? When I train her, I don't um, treat her like she's my niece or she's my granddaughter or like that. I treat her same like the other athletes. I see potential in these two girls and that's why I spend a lot of time with both of them. I know they will be uh, a champion in the future. That's why I really push them hard. But then like sometimes they fall back a little bit. But after the competitions they went to and they achieved uh, what they've been training hard for and they realize that this is how they should train and this is how they should be pushing themselves. She was like a mom to me, my mentor, someone I look up to, my hero. I'm going to say that she always be on my side. 
For Shamara, having her aunt at her side comes with consequences, as nothing less than hard work and commitment is expected. And competing first in India and then in Samoa, it's been tough for an athlete who only turned 18 in March. It's a long travel for me because I don't used to travel that long. It's very hard for me, but when Zenly was there, she encouraged me and told me that you have to do this because this is what you're here for. You're not going to waste all of your commitment to your trainings and your hard working. You're not going to just waste it on your nervousness. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go up there to the platform and do the best I can. So next stop for Shamara will be home territory. But she's modest about her chances of stepping onto the podium in Honiara. I want to set my new record, my personal best. I want to do my PB. I'm not sure if I'm in the medal position. It's a very tough one, training constantly, twice a day, put all of my effort to my training. It's going to be an honour for representing my country. As for Coach Genley, who describes herself as one of the grandmothers of weightlifting in Oceania, alongside Papua New Guinea's Dika Tua, she can't wait to step onto the platform in her home arena on day one of the Pacific Games weightlifting competition. I'm looking forward for competing in the home crowd and they've been with me for the past years since I started and they supported me. So this is the first time I will be competing uh, in front of all the supporters that uh, always support me. So yes, I'm looking forward for that. Now I'm turning 40 and in the past I've been lifting as a 59 and like my coach say, I'm 40 and I'm still going strong. So yeah, we'll see what I'm going to do at the Pacific Games. Yeah, you wouldn't back against another gold medal, that's for sure. Solomon Island's own weightlifting superstar, Genli Tego Winnie, ending that report from Talea Ogatir, and the weightlifting begins at the Pacific Games on Monday week, the morning after the opening ceremony. Now, with those uh, games in Solomon Islands uh, just a week away now, we're going to turn back the clock to uh, 1999 and the Pacific Games in Guam. Among the winning entries from our storytelling competition where we invited listeners from across Oceania to share their stories from past games was one from Naomi Roberts, a rugby legend with Australia's Wallaroos later in her sporting career. She previously played volleyball for Fiji at the Pacific Games. So now we take you back 24 years and to events off-court that Naomi and her teammates have never forgotten. So we are in this, it's an old army territory uh, based apartments and it's a team of volleyball players from Fiji. There's eight of us in the room and we've just settled in 29th of May 1999. I think the feeling that day was just excitement and everyone was excited. You started claiming your little spots around the room. I remember like the bigger girls, of course, goes to the bigger beds and the little ones, you just climb onto the bunk. Of course, the girls are all excited. You know, we don't have air condition back at home and these rooms have all air condition. So, of course, the girls are going around touching all the buttons or whatever it is, flicks. And someone decided to turn on the flick to see the, uh, we saw that there was an air condition unit. So we were just doing our little, settling our little corners. And then the, uh, we heard the noise coming when it starts, the air conditioning starts. And then everyone's getting excited. You can see the cold air coming through. And then a snake came slithering out. 
was only a little green tree snake, you know. It could have been an anaconda for us at that instant, but just something sliding out. So the first thing you do is you scream. And that's when they jump. They've got a snake like ngata, ngata, like ngata. And everyone just going, what? There's a ngata coming out of the... And people were just screaming. How come a snake is here, you know? This is supposed to be the best part of our life. This was the dream come true. We're ticking these boxes. We're representing Fiji. And how dare this snake comes in? So, you know, like our mind was going, is this a bad omen? Being Fijians, you know, you've got your island magic um, yeah, feelings. So if that comes into your head when you see a snake, you first screamed and you thought, did I do something bad? Is this an omen that followed me here? You know, things started playing in your head. And then everyone's jumping around and then this poor little snake was just coming out because it's been obviously disturbed. And then the screaming, the screaming was what was like, I, I, I said it was blood-curdling, like, scream, because I've never heard it before, you know? I've never been in a situation like that. I've never seen snake or anything leading up to that moment, a snake coming out, and there's my bed there. So the, the, the screaming was, you get to probably, I think the next closest thing to a movie that I've seen is Scream, one, two, three, four, five, or Saw. one of those movies so your hairs are all growing like you can virtually see the hair on your thing standing because I, I, I kind of like the screaming alone is enough to kill someone if you were listening you know but then when we realized it was only a snake that's when the laughing starts <laughs> just the laughing of the image of the people that were screaming like the uh, Fiji boys team. They, they heard us. So, of course, everyone comes running to see what was it. Was someone killing each other on the first day or, you know, someone broke a leg? And then they find out it was a snake. So, they, obviously, who was the hero to kill the snake? Because snakes are not supposed to be living, you know. For us, snake in a place is a dead snake, is a good snake. So, they killed the snake. And now that became, like, we were all going, oh, thank goodness, you know, the snake's dead. But then they took the snake out. And we were still trying to have a good laugh, imitating, because that's the best part about someone being caught out like that, is the imitation and the laughing about what they did at that moment. So the jumping, and we were just making fun of it. Fifteen minutes later, the same scream could be heard. And that's because the boys have taken the snake and thrown it into a room full of people just sitting there. And so now, and we'll be hearing, after another 15, 20 minutes, another scream, because... The jokes is now being pushed and uh, being moved around. And all you had to do was sit there and thinking, you, you, you scringe a bit when you hear the scream because you know exactly what it felt like, that scringe. And then you laugh because you know what the joke will be of people imitating the screamers. Yeah, so. But then after that, you thought, this is Guam. When we finally realized there were baskets, woven baskets hanging in trees, in every second tree. We thought they were just being left over by women, I think. They were actually snake traps. And then we realized, okay, this is, this is a snake country, you know. There's no bad omen, there was nothing. This is the way, the way of life in Guam, there is snakes. So that probably came to us when we saw the snake traps, because yeah, it is not a one-off thing. It is an island full of snakes. But the joke was there for every day, just people throwing things at you. It could be a piece of string or a rubbish, just to see the reaction, because we know now the snakes are around, but let's, yeah. So it, it, it was, I think it added to the fun of it, 
because people didn't stop throwing things at you. You'll be walking kindly or just relaxing and something will throw something at you and just go, yep, and you'll be laughing, you'll be screaming. So there were lots of screaming. I think the Guam Pacific Games would probably be known as a screaming game <laughs> for my, from my experience, yeah. Snakes on a plane, snakes at the games. Uh, volleyball player turned rugby legend Naomi Roberts are talking about her memories of the Pacific Games in Guam in 1999. I bet the players still dream about that day. That uh, story was produced by Dubravka Volada. And that's it from this Friday morning sporting edition of Pacific Beat. I'm Richard Hewitt. Uh, I will be here this time and next week. I shall be en route with colleagues Carl Evans and Aggie Tupo to Honiara. For the opening of the Pacific Games, we'll be there for week one to bring you all the atmosphere of what is always a great and friendly event with sports people from around the region coming together for two weeks of action for coverage here on ABC Radio Australia. Enjoy the rest of your day and have a very happy sporting weekend.